No one owes you anything. You have to get up and work for everything you have. So stop saying a certain demographic owe you something. They really don't. It is up to you to get it. And no one is standing in your way except for you. You're the only person that can stand in your way. You can. If I'm not successful, it has nothing to do with my parents. It doesn't. Because you don't have to have the best parents to be successful. You don't. You have to have that resiliency in you to say, hey, I'm going to make it in spite of everything I've gone through. I'm going to make it. Welcome to the Mindset on Resilience podcast, where we're building a more confident, resilient, and mentally strong community. I'm your host, Daniel True Love, and we are in for a treat today. Uh, we have a guest who is super dynamic. Uh, one thing that I could say about her is that uh, she's somebody uh, that cares about people. Uh, she's someone that not only uh, has done amazing things uh, within her personal life, but also uh, within her career. Uh, she's someone that has made sure uh, that she paid it for uh, everything that she desires for herself. Uh, she desires for everybody that's around her. And that's why I have a, a special uh, respect and regard for her. Uh, she is none other than Mrs. Dr. Constant. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Happy uh, to be able to have this conversation with you. That's for sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is good. I, I One thing I know, I told you before we got started, I said, listen, I know this is going to be good. So I'm just, I'm just looking, I, I got my notepad over here. I'm looking to take some notes myself and, uh, you know, just, just get an opportunity just to learn a little bit more, uh, dive a little bit deeper because a lot of people can see kind of what our, Let's see our highlights, Dr. Constant, you know, you, your role, the family. Um, but sometimes they don't know the journey uh, of, of how you got to that or even some of the challenges that still could come your way. Uh, and so I'm excited to kind of peel back the layers a little bit and learn a little bit more about your journey and how uh, you've been resilient along the way. So uh, tell us a little bit about you know, what do you do um, as a, a coordinator of student services. What is, what does that mean? Basically what I do, um, anything that deals with students and families, I'm that person that they see. Uh, oftentimes I try to take a proactive approach before they get to my office. Uh, I'm in the schools all the time. I have meetings with families, with students, uh, with, uh, principals. I'm there to offer support. Uh, I have not always been in this position. I started as an elementary teacher teaching second grade. And then one day my principal came in and asked, uh, we were reading this book, Boys and Girls Learn Differently uh, by Harry Wan. Uh, fell in love with it. And she asked me if I would consider teaching all male students. And I said, of course I would. Um, I wanted that challenge. And so I remember the first year she gave me um, what she considered based on data, uh, the lower, the lowest males in our third grade classes. Uh, we had uh, five classes and she gave me all of the male students uh, from that class. And I remember during the summer after we received our test scores, she called me in during the summer, it was in July, and she asked me if I would come in. And I came in and she wanted to have a discussion with me. And I was so nervous because I had no idea what she wanted. And she said, do you realize, she said, I have some good news and some bad news. And I, she asked, which one did I want first? And I said, well, give me the, you know, go ahead and give me the bad news. And she said, the bad news uh, for you is you will be teaching these, you'll be teaching students, male students again. So she thought it was bad news for me. It was amazing. I was just so excited um, 
to know that I could have male students again. And so she said, the good news is, she said, first of all, I want to know what did you do differently from having a heterosexual class? And I told her after reading that book and it talked about how the young men, how they learn different, how their the strategies for teaching them are totally different. Like they are so competitive. And so that entire summer, I plan differently for those students. And I taught male students um, for same gender classes. I taught those for three years. And that summer when she called me in, she had the comparison of the state, what the state said, and she had the comparison of my class, that particular group that everyone had counted out because they had behavior issues. And they had behavior issues because they were so smart, very intelligent. They were not challenged, therefore they became behavior issues. And so after, at the end of that meeting, she said, your students, your boys outrank the national percentile. And so at that point, when August came, there were individuals from the State Department, individuals from all over wanted to see that particular class. So that was my second year. Then at the end of the third year, um, she called me in and she said, I have some news. Um, I don't have anyone else who would like to teach the boys because our group had grown and she needed another teacher to teach um, the boys to split some of them up and no one wanted to do that. And she told me, she said, this will be your last year teaching all males. And I decided on that day that I no longer want to teach a heterosexual class again uh, because teaching those young men, I knew that the way that they learn, she would walk in my classroom and she would ask, well, what are you guys making today? We would make fossils. You'll have flour all over the place. You'll see kids underneath the desk, the boys underneath the desk. When I taught them multiplication facts, it wasn't the traditional way. I bought all the students drumsticks and they would do raps like three times three is nine, three times four is, you know, 12. And that's how it, we did everything as a rap. Everything was competition because that's how the young men learn everything. And it was not a traditional setting. I had to learn how to think outside of the box because it wasn't about me anymore. It was about teaching these young men and seeing them being productive citizens. So after that, after she told me that um, that was my last year, I decided, hey, I do not want to go back into the classroom. And that started my journey as an administrator. And so I started off as a principal, uh, assistant principal and had the pleasure of working under that principal. She was my uh, she was my principal. I was her assistant and then in a middle school. And then I went on to being a high school assistant principal. And an opening came in our district for a K-12 school. And I was principal, I was a principal there for three years. And my superintendent called me in one day and said, hi, hey, I want to tell you that I'm moving you. I want you to go to a high school and get it ready for the closing of two community schools. And I was devastated to say the least, because I had finally got that community school where I needed it to be. Um, and then she said, I need you to go and clean up another school. And for a lot of people who are looking in, being a transitional principal is extremely difficult. There are a lot of late nights, early mornings, changing the culture of the school, for the faculty and staff, as well as st the student body and families. And you have to really work hard when you're walking into a zone that uh, the morale is extremely low. So I was excited that the school was finally where I, I wanted it to be, 
when I first got my first administration job, um, the grad rate at that time was 68%. And we went from 68% to 83% in a year with a great team. Um, I had some of the best parents ever at Akron Community School. Um, they really invested in their children's lives. They didn't have a lot, a lot of the parents then, but they had more than the normal parents because they worked hard. Uh, I could call them at three o'clock and say, hey, I need $4,000 to send uh, my debate team on a, on a trip or whatever it may uh, have been. And by three o'clock, they would be there with a check. And so then the superintendent sent me to Greensboro High School and I attended that school. And so I knew the capability, but they had, they had gone through so much there. Uh, at that time, they had gang members. Um, they had gone through about five or six different principles. And so I'm walking into that and it was not easy. And being in a, a community where you have grown up and, um, you know, some people think that you're going to give them favors. And I remember my first faculty meeting, I stood up and I, I told my faculty, I said, if you're not here for the correct reason, then I need you to find another job because it had become before I got there, honestly, and even my first two years there, it became a dumping ground for individuals that could not find jobs. They would, that school became the dumping ground. So because they were high poverty students, some people felt that, okay, we don't have to give it 110%. And so it took a lot of hard work showing them that even if the child came from across the track, per se, that child can still learn and that child will be given the very best under my leadership. And once they saw that, every teacher in that building, I can honestly say, worked extremely hard. It took me two, three years to clean it up. I lost two teachers that I knew they were not there for the right reason. Then I brought on additional teachers um, that had a mindset of helping all students. So, and I did not care for me. It wasn't about uh, their, their ethnicity. I just needed good people in the building who was gonna love the children. And that was one of the things I shared. Um, when I interviewed, if they could not love every child, every child, it didn't matter the, the color of the skin, uh, how the child looks, smell, if you couldn't love every child, then that place was not for them. And I can tell you, it took me three and a half, yeah, three years to get that school with a great team. It wasn't all, it wasn't me. It was a team effort to get them off the failing school list. And I stayed there five years. I asked God for three, but God left me there for five years to complete his task. And after that, I applied for a position um, in the Tuscaloosa City School District. And that out, and honestly, that was not, I never saw myself in the central office never saw myself there because I felt like coming from the background of a teacher and an administrator, we are so busy. I thought the central office was going to be too slow for me. Boy, was I wrong. So I, I applied for the, um, the coordinator of student services and was blessed with that position and have been in it for five years been there for five years. This is my fifth year. And it has been one of the most rewarding jobs I have ever had in my life.
I have the opportunity to see students from all walks of life. Uh, I'm in the, in schools daily. Um, we, I, there is a team of us. Uh, we share duties when, if I have a student that I can't get to, then I can send one of my colleagues and they'll go out and then they'll report back to me. So then I can follow up. Um, one of the things that I pride myself on is making sure that if a parent contacts me, that I'm going to make sure that within that 24 hours, 48 hours, that parent will hear back from me personally. Uh, I make every parent a priority. Um, I love every parent, every student, even the toughest one. I had three today from a high school that I had to go and meet with. And, and, and like I explained to the students, I just want the very best for them, but they have to want it for themselves as well. So that is my journey. That that is how I got to become the um, the uh, student service coordinator. So yes. Okay. So I want to kind of rewind back and then and then we'll go somewhere else. But you kind of mentioned um, being the trans uh, the transformation principle. You know, like in transition, um, the turnaround principle to where you know they they got some on the felon schools list that would bring you in, you would turn things around. It may take you a year, two years, three years, but that started for you in the classroom, you know, which you turn in that, that, them, that all male. And I kind of, I kind of picked up on that. Like this wasn't something to where you learned all this, you know, you, you know, as you became an assistant principal, like this started back then. So tell me a little bit about um, the turnaround, how challenging is it and this is for a teacher that's working in a turnaround school or for an administrator um, that's working in a turnaround school, or even a parent that's listening to this that, that is in that environment. Um, how challenging is it to, for that turnaround to happen? And what are some of the things that uh, you would say that are, are, are pivotal uh, to, to make those changes happen? That is so great you asked that. Today, I went to an elementary school. I went to see a student and the teacher was asking about homework and I was standing at the door and I did not go in because everything he said was true and I said I was going to see him on tomorrow because he what he did was he told the student there was a um the student was 10 and the only reason I know that because he made mention of it in his conversation he said you are 10 years old you can do your homework on your own and not needing the help from your parent because it is just what I'm giving you is just reteaching of the skills that we have gone over in that day. And so for me, and it brought back so many memories because when I was a second and third grade teacher, I had what was called hot homework hotline. And so students could call me and I would give them certain times that they could call me and they could get help with homework because every student in the building knew that you could not come in Mrs. Constance class at the time because I didn't have my doctorate without homework because excuses are for failures. And everybody knew that, even my own personal children. So we didn't, we didn't have excuses. So what I would do I would give them homework and homework is only reteaching the skills that you have gone over that previous day or that day. And so I would give them, they would have a, a, a time that they could call and they had to stick to their time. And so for those students that didn't have phones, because we had to look at that as well, then at the end of the day, I would help finish up the lessons the last lesson for the day, which was science for me, and I still remember it. And I would pull that group together and I would go ahead and help them with their homework before they went home. Because oftentimes parents in high poverty level schools, they really don't have the school the skills to help them with. So and when I say excuses are for failures, that was for the teacher as well. That was for me. 
I could not. I had to look hard in the mirror. I'm asking these babies to do certain things. And a lot of them didn't even have the tools in their home to do what I'm asking them to do. So how is that fair to penalize them? So I had, after my second year there, I had to go back and rethink. I had to think outside the box. How am I going to get these babies to the next level? And hold everybody accountable. So when I had meetings, you would see my parents rushing in to my meetings. Because if I'm going to help them, I need you to help them. And what I did was I knew parents had to work. I knew they had to work. So it wasn't fair for me to ask to have a parent meeting at 3.30 because I was trying to get home. That wasn't fair. So I had to think about that. So my parent participation was always high. And I even had teachers coming down to ask what I did to get the parents in. I just held everybody accountable. My students knew in order for me to show up at their games, I had your homework had to be done first. We had things in our class. On Wednesdays, everybody knew that was my late night because I had church. So I would stay at the school late to make sure if students need to call, they had my cell phone. They could call me on my cell phone. They had my number in my, my, in my house phone. They could call the landline. We just had no excuses. And then during the summer, I opened up um, my living room, my family room, to students that were struggling reading. And so while I was at home with my own three children, then I also helped them as well. So... I just didn't believe in using excuses to not perform at a higher level. I received an email for my, um, I received a message on Messenger for right before my birthday. And my birthday is on Christmas. And his name is Marcus Moore. He's a junior. And I'll never forget he said to me, he said, Dr. Constant, I was mad at you every day that we would have lunch and you would tell us how to sit correctly, what utensils to use and where to put our hands. Now, this is what he sent to me. He said, and I didn't understand why you would always make me say the pledge, go down to the office and say the pledge. He said, until I got in high school and I had to take um, a public speaking class. And then when I went to college, he said, now I have a job where I am a supervisor and I'm at meetings where I know now how to use the correct utensils at a formal dinner. I know how to speak correctly. He said, and you taught us that, excuse me, in third grade, there are so many children that thought that I was so mean. Now they understand. I had a young lady that sent me an email. Uh, it was a text at two o'clock on my birthday. It was Christmas day, Christmas morning, two o'clock. And she said, Dr. Constant, I thought you were the meanest person towards me she said but now i understand she said i'm an adult now with a, my own child and i just want to thank you she said any person that runs into contact with you they're truly blessed now i did not expect that from her because she's absolutely right i stayed on her i just saw something great in her and so as a parent I can speak as a parent, being a transformational principal. But what a lot of people didn't know is wherever I went, I took my children. Because if it was good enough for those students, good enough for me, my children, I knew they were going to be okay because the teachers there knew that they had to give all children 110%. My children were no different, but I needed parents to understand that 
I was just not talking the talk. I was going to walk it as well. So all of my children went to the schools that I was an administrator in. So they traveled with me just like if they were a military, if they were military children. Every school they went, my children, my oldest daughter graduated. I gave her her diploma. I was not my twins principal. I left their junior year. When they completed their junior year, going into their senior year, that's when I accepted the job in Tuscaloosa City. So they, and I ended up, the principal was so kind, he allowed me to give them their diploma as well. But I wanted, and every child can tell you that has ran across me. I always tell parents and students, it's not good enough for my children to make it and yours not. We are working as a team to ensure that all children are successful. But at the end of the day, it's totally up to that individual child. But I'm not going to give up. And, and, and I'm not. I mean, I have children right now that are now teaching that have recently, there were two this past weekend that called me and asked for help because now they're going into the master's program and they want to know what should they get, get their master's in. So it doesn't stop when they leave high school. Not for me. It doesn't. I want, because there's nowhere in the Bible that says African Americans have to be at the bottom of the totem pole. There's nowhere that says that. And so for so many years, I've heard children, and because the children are hearing it from parents, are hearing it from relatives, are hearing it from someone that's speaking that language. This is what I taught my children. And I still do it to this day. And I share it with my students when I was in middle school, elementary and high school. No one owes you anything. You have to get up and work for everything you have. So stop saying a certain demographic owe you something. They really don't. It is up to you to get it. And no one is standing in your way except for you. You're the only person that can stand in your way. You can. If I'm not successful, it has nothing to do with my parents. It doesn't. Because you don't have to have the best parents to be successful. You don't. You have to have that resiliency in you to say, hey, I'm going to make it in spite of everything I've gone through. I'm going to make it because that is how we break those generational curses. We have to stop saying when everybody else, and I remember this, when my friends were going out, I couldn't go out. I had to study because I knew I struggled in math. So while I was taking those math courses, I knew when they went to the chicken coop on Thursday evenings, I knew I couldn't go. I knew I couldn't party until I had all my work done. And that's what I teach my children. You work first and you party later. You work hard. And I do not accept failure. If you fail, you get back up. We have to teach our children that because every person has experience. And if they say they haven't, they're telling a lie. Every person has experienced some type of failure. And we have to teach our children. And see, that is the mindset with today's generation. When they fail at something, they just want to give up. And we as parents, we are allowing them to just, okay, you don't have to do this. I always say this, and it never fails. When my children first went off to college, I told them, I said, I want you to look around during your first freshman meeting when they have all the freshmen together. I said, after Christmas, a lot of them are not coming back after Christmas. And do you know why? A lot of them, first of all, they don't have the resources because no one told them, hey, it's not going to be easy and it's not designed to be easy. It's designed to be difficult. So when you make it, you'll be appreciative of that hard work. 
And so when it gets a little hard, if you don't have the money to go out and eat, which you should be using a calf anyway. And so that's what I, I'm a realist. So I taught real to, to students that, and parents, they first have to crawl before they can walk and then run. So you have to teach children how to make it when they have a little of nothing. There's nothing wrong with going to thrift stores to get you a nice outfit for an interview. There's nothing wrong with that. Who's going to know it? See, we have to get that out of your out of their heads with just trying to just fit in. Just fit in cuz that that's exactly what a lot of them are doing. So being a transformational administrator, you wear multiple multiple hats. There are times I would be mopping the floors. My custodians, I had to send them just say another building because Greensboro High School was very open. So we had three different buildings. And really we had four with the gym. So if I had my two custodians in another building and and this happened, I'll never forget this. A, a child became ill in the hallway and the teacher wanted to send a student to get the custodian and I had sent them to building one and I said no we're not going to do that I'll get a mop and I'll clean it up and do you know I had so many students coming around asking can I help because they saw me cleaning see so you don't ask people to do something that you're not willing to do and so once I showed them that I can get my hands dirty too, I can go into the kitchen and serve lunches, I can go in, in the gym and, and clean up and, and spray before a game. When they saw that, it changed the entire culture of our school. It became a family. It became so bad where on Sunday evenings after church, I would have open gym and you could only come to open gym if your grades were good. And when I say that you could not have below a 65 because all of my students that had a, below, a 65 or below, they had to go to study hall, even my athlete, my athletes. So every person had to go to study hall if they had, because a 65 can go either way when you take an exam. So every student, they're required to go and they went. They knew they wanted to do open gym on Sunday. That was something I did because you have to give the students something to do, some kind of outlet. If not, they're gonna be on the street. So what did I do on Sunday evening? After church, I would come home and get dressed and my children, I get them, they they were old enough they were in high school then i think i had a the twins were in the ninth grade and, and then i had a junior and they would come and the girls some of the girls played from the community with the boys but it was open gym and they knew and i would have my table in the gym and i would be doing my work while they played ball because you i could you couldn't leave them unsupervised so i can tell you it wasn't easy there's stigma on, on high poverty schools, but I can tell you that with hard work and dedication, you can do anything. And those babies, they made it, they made it happen. When we did honors day and we had over a hundred honorees, those babies worked their behinds off. And I can tell you those parents, they did. It wasn't easy though. And I, you know, and I, I'm going to be honest, there were some nights. I was so exhausted and I would literally sit in my office and cry and wipe my tears and get back up and start over the next morning because I didn't live in the community when I came back from that. I, I lived there for years and then we ended up purchasing a home uh, in another county. We had one in, in Hale County and then we had one in Tuscaloosa County. So. I was traveling, so late nights, then you're leaving and you're getting back home late, 
you still have to do your motherly duties and and wifely duties as a parent and a wife and then there are parents that are still calling but not one time and i can tell you did i consider quitting because i knew i was sent there for a reason it was difficult there were a lot of difficult decisions because when you're going into a situation where you're you're having to make changes for the betterment of the students not for teachers not for myself for the betterment of the students you're going to get a lot of flack and it's and it's lonely at the top and there are certain things i couldn't share not even with with other principals a lot of things i saw a lot of things i had to stand up for for our children and thank god i had one of the best superintendents at the time I never forget Miss Olsey Pickens. A lot of people said that um, we were so much alike, but I thank God that she allowed me to run that school the way I want, needed to run it. And the children knew that I had their best interests at hand. And when it was time for grades and they went to the academy, for for various trades and i wasn't i'm not the principal they had their own principal of the academy and i never forget there was one student the the teacher had not put their grades in and they knew i looked at every report card i signed every report card the counselor knew she had to have the report cards on my desk by a certain time because two days before the report cards would go out i would sign a special note on every report card in high school and i remember this student she came in and she was just sobbing and she was sobbing because the teacher at the career academy had not put the grades in and she had an f and she knew i was going to come down hard on her and so she said I'm just letting you know, Dr. Constance, she hadn't put my grades in. I said, now, you know, I'm going to find out. And she was telling the truth. And so I went to the principal and I explained to the principal, I need her grades in because it's not fair that I'm going to have to have conversations with, with my students. And it is, this is not a student issue. This is an adult issue. So she had like 54 of my students. And all 54 had an L. By that next day, because she hadn't put in all of her grades. She had not put in all the grades. And that principal, I'll never forget, he was so kind. He called her in and I explained to her, I need your grades in because I meet with all of my students about grades. We had what it was called report card conferences with all the students and we gave them certificates based on how many credits, how many courses that they passed. Because in high school, everything counts. So if they had a green certificate, everybody in the building knew that they had passed all of their, 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 their courses. But if they had like a yellow or red or a blue, then everybody knew that they had failed a course. And no one wanted to walk out of there with with a color other than, than green. <laughs> so things like that, things like that change the dynamics, the culture of our building. One thing I was going to say, it, it, but it starts with this. You, you, you said, I have high expectations. And, and, and you didn't relent. You didn't hold back. It was like, oh, okay, well, he's got a sheet across the board. This is what I expect. And, and, and you stay true to that. That's, that's what I hear in every way with everybody. And I, you know what? And I, and I had to. Um, I never forget the football team had a game. And I had been telling the coach, as a coach, check your players' grades, coach check your players grades and so the math teacher came to me and he said dog 
I have four football players. They have not been to tutoring. And they are on borderline. And we have an exam. And so they had a game like that next Friday. I said, Coach, if your boys have an F, you know I'm benching them. It was one of the most important games for that coach. But what I explained to the coach, had he done his job, I wouldn't even have to get involved. All the other players went, and I tell you this, three of the four were bitch. And so when I'm walking, and I will always walk during the games to make sure everybody was okay, and you could hear them, they were asking why the three boys were on the bench. And two of them were dynamic athlete, I mean athletes. And I told the coach, I said, they can be, I don't care who they can, you, honestly, but a dummy with a ball is not going anywhere. That's just true. So you're concerned with them playing a game and they are failing academically. How does that look? And I tell you, one of the parents came to see me. She was so upset with the coach. With the coach now. And I had to explain to her, I said, my son plays football. As a parent, you can't blame the coach when you are allowing your child to play. As a parent, you check the grades for yourself. We're sending progress reports home, so there are no excuses. So I was not the favorite administrator starting off because I, whatever I said, I was going to stand behind it. And even with my children, my son, he did some things. He was punished as well. Like he, they, all of them had good grades, but my son was a jokester. And so he and his friends, and I didn't find this out until after they had graduated. I never knew what they meant when they were saying 5-0 is in the hallway. They, the friends were letting him know that your mother's in the hallway because I was 5-0. And so they did things as well, but I held every student accountable. I sent my daughter, my oldest daughter home for breaking dress code. I went to work early. Her father brought them to school and she was out of dress code because my girls knew they could wear the leggings, but they had to have a shirt that was going to cover it. Well, my own daughter waited until I left. I kid you not, this is a true story. Had on a pair of leggings and I had a matching shirt for it. She did not wear the shirt. Now, the shirt covered her. She decided to wear what she wanted to wear. And I saw her. And she ran to the restroom. And this was, this was on arrival. And I went in the restroom. I said, is Naya constant in the restroom? Because I knew all the girls would be in there putting on the makeup and all of that. And our father had just gotten off from work. And he had to come pick her up, take her home and change her clothing. When I got in the cafeteria for lunch that day, one of the students walked up to me, I'll never forget, it was Chantel. Chantel said, Dr. Constant, my mother told me to watch what your daughters wear. Then I know I'll be in dress code, but I got to tell my mother, you sent your own daughter home today for being out of dress code. But that said volume, that spoke volume in that building because I didn't have favorites. You all had to follow rules. So that's it. Yeah. Wow. I, well, I have one question um, because, man, you just given uh, this. I mean, this is information for everybody that um, is in that uh, maybe that challenging situation, maybe making that decision for themselves about sticking with it. But the, the thing that I heard from you is that you were sent there for a reason. And so uh, you had to do your assignment. You had to do what you were sent to do. And so you finished it every time. Uh, even if it was longer than what you had thought, but uh, everything that I'm hearing, uh, and we'll we'll land here. 
this came from a place. What, where, why were you wired this way? Why, why did you have the heart that you had? What, what, like, where did, where did that come from? Well, growing up, my mother, um, on Saturdays and Sundays, she would cook and feed anybody that needed a, a warm meal. And I didn't understand it. My siblings didn't understand why she was doing the things that she would do because we didn't have a, a great deal, but you didn't know that. And her thing was, she knew that there were so many people in our community that needed a warm meal. And so all we saw in our home was our mother making us give back. On Saturdays, um, all of the all of my siblings had to learn to play an instrument. So we all were in the band. So on Friday nights, we played um, in the band during football season and then pelt band for basketball season. But every Saturday morning, our mother would get us up and she would get us, you know, we all had to get dressed. And you would think that we're getting dressed to go shopping or whatever. But every Saturday, we had to get up and we had to volunteer. So we would go into the elderly homes and we would clean. Um, we would uh, take out trash. We would, whatever chores they wanted us to do. And our mother would not allow us to take anything for it. So it was four girls at the time. My brother wasn't born then. And we would get up every Saturday and go into the neighborhood and help the elderly. So I don't know anything else, but that um, our mother always taught us that you go to work, you do your job, you don't get caught up in any kind of foolishness. And so you love people, like you have to love yourself. But she taught us um, when we were younger to have a personal relationship with the Lord. And in order to do that, and what came from that is loving people. Like there's nothing someone may be in need of. If I don't have it, I'll find it. And so I knew once I made it where I could help someone else because I'm, I'm not done. There's so much more God has for me to do. So I know that my promise to God, I have kept that, that once I got to a point in life that I could reach back and help others, I would do that. But it started in my home seeing my, my mother giving back and helping others. And so that's all I know. My sister and I, we were having a conversation uh, on Monday about helping um, the children's hospital, like donating blankets. And, and she started laughing and she said, even though our mother is deceased now, we are still fulfilling the promise that we made to her that we were going to be steward over the little that God blessed us with so that he would trust us with much more, if that makes sense, with more than what. So you, you can never have anything with a closed hand and not willing to share. And so that's all I know. There are times that I've seen kids in need. I've seen parents in need and I won't even think twice about it to help. And I remember my, my youngest daughter, I was giving her, uh, giving them their own lunch money because they said, well, we're not eating in the cafeteria. Can you just give us our, and I would do it monthly. And she came home one day and she wanted to talk to me and to tell me something. So I knew it was something. And she shared with me that she had given her friend money to pay their utilities. And I was so mad because she had given all of her, her lunch money away until she said this. She said, well, mommy, that's what you teach us. 
I couldn't say another word. Do you know that parent came to my office and brought an envelope, hugged me, and these are the words she said, and I'll never forget. She said, I want to thank you for teaching your children how to give back. She said, because had I not paid my utility bills where I live, we get evicted. We get evicted if our utilities are turned off. And so I, I remember because of that act of kindness, God has truly blessed my children because they know how to give and not think about even get, you know, receiving it back, just giving freely from your heart. So the generation of giving, it continues. So that's all I know. I don't know anything else but to help someone else. And it doesn't mean that they are in need. You can give an idea. You can give them it's something. But if the world was more about giving instead of always taking and always wanting a handout, it would be such a better place. Yeah, it would. Man, this is so rich. Um, like you have a you have you have just you're a well of 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 goodness. Um like I, I have so many, so many different things that, that that I could say, or so many different directions that we can go in. Um, but for for sake of time, one of the things that I I would like to say uh, or ask is uh, we have a, a segment that we kind of you know kind of end with, and it's called Better Days Ahead. And I'm excited to I'm, I'm excited to hear what you got to say. Um, for anybody that's listening, uh, that may be going through challenges, that may you know, be in the middle of some adversity right now, what encouragement, whether it's a mantra, whether it's something that you live by uh, that you, you will utilize to help them um, see that there are better days ahead? One of the, um, we have goals in our home. Um, and when my, our children were old enough to speak, we will always say, good is not great. You have to be the best. Good is not great. You have to be the best. And whatever your best is, whatever your best is, I can honestly say my entire life changed when I lost my mother. I went through a two-year depression, had never been depressed in my life, never, didn't even know what it was. I didn't know until the doctor told me. I, I had no idea. My entire life changed. And when I say this, there are some things you grow up believing like I grew up believing <laughs> that if I wore pants to church, I was going to hell. I, you, you understand? But God wants your heart. So what you have on, he's, he's, he's concerned with your soul. So, and when I share that, there are people I know right now that are struggling with with children with marriages with some people even contemplating suicide and if you think back to i'll never forget when the market and all of that the crash and and um real estate had hit bottom if you notice how many people were committing suicide because you know why? Because their trust was in what they were making. It wasn't in, like a lot of people, whatever they believe in, that's, that's up to them. I do not, I'm not infringing my belief on anyone. But I know this, at the age of eight, I asked God to do something for me. My mother introduced us to God when we were old enough to stand up and walk to church. And I remember praying out to God at the age of eight, standing in my end of my driveway. And I told God, if you fix it where I could get a car, I said a car at the age of eight, so that I could take my brother and sisters places. Now this was a prayer of an eighth year old. I said, God, 
I promise you, everybody that I walk in the midst of, I'm going to help. My life has not been easy. My life has not been easy. And I share this. I didn't wake up one day and became Dr. Constant. It took years of staying up late, not participating in things that my friends were doing to get to the next level. It wasn't easy. It wasn't designed to be easy. But this is something I do every year. And now it's twice a year. I talk twice each year. I do a vision board. And I truly do one. And I write down, I don't have a certain number of things, but I write down what I expect God to do for me in this year. I just revisit my board from last year. And I'm going to say this to every person that's going to listen to this podcast. Don't ask God for something that you're not, you're not ready to walk into. Because God is going to hear. He's going to hear and he's going to see what you're going to put on that vision board. And if you're not ready to accept it, don't ask for it. Because it may not come in the way that you think it's going to come. You may ask God for a job. You may get that job, but it may not be the job in your hometown that you want. He will bless you with a job. So make sure whatever you're going to ask him for, make sure you're willing to walk through those doors and accept what he's going to give to you. But he's not going to give you anything just because you're asking him for it. You have to show him that you're going to work for it. Because faith without work is what? Dead. So, I can say this as an eight-year-old and looking back at it, and I did two Sundays ago, I could not believe where God has brought me from. And I say that my faith is, is everything besides my children and my family. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here. And I can truly say that because I hadn't always been the Jessica that followed the rules and, and did, you know, follow policies and all of that, procedures. But I have always been a hard worker. And to those who are ready to give up for whatever reason, a door being closed, think of it this way. You never know what God is protecting you from when that door is closed. That's not the right door for you if it was closed. I have had doors closed. I'll never forget before I came to Tuscaloosa City School, I had a door that was closed. I went to an interview. A lot of people didn't know it. I went to the, an interview. I wanted this curriculum job in Hale County. And I never forget at the end of my interview, the superintendent said to me, you are overly qualified for this position. And I said, yes, sir, I know. I knew then. He was not going to, they were not going to vote for me to have that position. And so two days later, I found out who they gave the position to. They already knew who they wanted to have that position. And you know what? Not right then, because I was upset, but my flesh had to die to get to the next point of my life. So I said, why will I, why am I going to stay in a place where I can no longer grow. But you know what? It was my fault in the first place because I knew I was stagnated, but I was hard-headed and didn't move when God told me to move. So he had to show me and that door was closed in my face. And so I didn't have a choice. God pushed me to the next level. So I couldn't be mad. I had to be thankful. So for all of these people that someone had told them they weren't good enough, whether it's a boyfriend or a husband or what, if it's a boss, you got to know your, 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 your value, your self-worth for yourself. 
So when that person says something negative about you, it's just going to fall right off your sleeves. You're not going to hold on to that negativity. And most importantly for me, always, and I tell my children and anybody that come across me, always, always surround yourself with positive people. Because if you are around negative people, and I don't care how positive you are, that negativity is going to start rubbing off on you. You want to surround yourself with people who are moving forward and not backwards. And in that, that means that you are going to lose some so-called friends, some of them family members that you thought that were behind you. The minute you start raising up, God started elevating you, you're going to see some people for them for who they really are. And you know what? Don't get mad. Be thankful. And once I learned that, my entire life, my career life changed, my personal life changed, all of that changed because I couldn't be upset with them because they were not moving in the same directions I was moving in. And that's okay. That really is okay. That meant that they were only your friends for that season of your life. And so when we stop looking at the negativity of it, because God is going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. Like if you get a bill today and they're telling you that they're coming in the morning to turn your lights on. And if you don't have faith that God is going to intercede, then you're just expecting them lights going to be off. But if you have faith, God will put something in that path, in your pathway. I'm telling you, I've seen it done. I did not get here overnight. I didn't. I didn't wake up and it was, I can tell you, when I first started working on my doctorate, my mother would diagnose she had a brain tumor. I would literally be in the hospital. We spent the entire Christmas break, two weeks at the hospital. My mother was in ICU working on my doctorate. Right before, two years before my mother passed, three years before she passed, I graduated with my doctorate, but she couldn't travel then. My, one of my sisters, she was working on her doctorate when my mother passed. These are little black girls that mother worked at a sewing factory, father worked for a utility company, five children in the home, trying to feed five children, total seven people in the home. We didn't have a great deal. And if we made it, anyone can make it. And every child went to college, whether they decide to finish or not, everyone had the opportunity to go. So there are no excuses. And I, I will continue to say this to any person that runs across my path. Failure is not an option, not around me. It's not an option. We have to stop stop thinking and stop believing what people have said to us about other people owing us and get up off our behind and make it happen and work hard for what you have. That's good. That's good. That's good. Man, that was, that was so rich. Um, I think it kind of echoes uh, kind of where we started off at. And so uh, we'll, we'll, end, we'll end it there. For anybody out there, um, there are better days ahead. Get up, get up. Don't don't allow any excuse. Uh, don't look for somebody else to come and do it for you. You have to find that inner will, that inner desire, that motivation, whatever it may be, uh, to get up and get to where it is that you know you're supposed to be. Um, no matter what your mom said, your dad said, that friend, boyfriend, husband, wife. Whatever it may be, uh, don't believe the lies. Get up and do it for you. 
so thank you all so much for your time. This has been uh, an amazing, an amazing. It's been encouraging for me uh, just to just to sit here uh, and just and just listen and uh, digest of everything you had to say, Dr. Constance. So I just want to say I appreciate you for your obedience. Uh, I appreciate you for your heart. And uh, thank you so much for the prayers you prayed um, that allowed for you to be able to continue to serve till today. Uh, continue to serve well and uh, continue to lay lay your head down at night knowing, uh, knowing two words are coming. Well done. So I just want to tell you on behalf of, I know I'm not the, uh, the author, the finisher, the one that's going to determine this, but uh, from, from my little video vantage point, uh, I just want to say well done. Um, continue to do what you do. Uh, we appreciate it. The world appreciates you. I know that everybody that you come into contact with, uh, they appreciate it as well. And so that's going to be our time for this show. Thank you all so much, and you all have a great night.